Proverbs 24. We made it down through verse 14 last week. And this morning, we're going to pick it up in verse 15 and see how far we get. So if you're there with me, why don't we stand to read it? And I know that some of you already had your pens ready. I'm sorry. Verse 15, if you're with me, say amen. amen. Do not lie in wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not plunder his resting place. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and it displeases him and he turn away his wrath from him. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked, for there will be no prospect for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those given to change for their calamity will rise suddenly and who knows the ruin those two can bring. And so father, we thank you this morning, Lord, as we approach the text that you've put before us, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to it and that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would remove the cares and the burdens of this life and the distractions from the room or anything that would hinder us from hearing what you would say to us by your spirit Lord, we love you. We thank you for all of that. We surrender and submit to it now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. Um, so I like the train. It adds character. <laughs> so at the new building the other day, the train went by. And outside, it sounded pretty loud. But I think in the building, it's pretty muffled. It's a lot different. Um, so we'll still have that, that character, if you will, for our southern service. <laughs> but um, maybe not as strong. Proverbs, if you remember, those of you, maybe anybody visiting for the first time that I haven't met already, um, just wave at me so I'll know. I know I met a few of you because I've been, I've been walking around this morning. I've been scrambling. I got an email that there was going to be a family that needed uh, translation. I got the email late, so we're scrambling to be able to respond to that. So they're probably end up at the second service. So I've been running around, if you've noticed that. Um, but if you are new, I would love to meet you before you leave after service. But one of the things that we've learned is that Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, is speaking to his children to give them wisdom and instruction for life, that they may know how to conduct themselves in this life and in order to be victorious as believers as well as to glorify the Lord. Um, and we get to glean from it as there's only one author of the Bible and it's the Holy Spirit. And so we're thankful for that. Um, and the thing about the book of Proverbs, many of you... There's 31 chapters. Many of you go through it every month. Um, and a lot of people have that as a habit. I think it's good because the book of Proverbs is a very, very, I mean, it's a spiritual book because it's written by the Holy Spirit, but it's also a very practical book because it speaks to every area of our lives. Amen. Um, everything that you could imagine, your business, your finances, your marriage, your relationships, your uh, anything you can think of, it speaks towards it. It definitely speaks to your heart as well. And so that is what I love about it. And even as we approach this today, we're going to see that in the first few verses, verses 15 through 18, what we're going to see is because of Christ, we are invincible. And in humility, we conquer. 
Those kind of two things that we'll see. And notice in verse 15, it says, do not lie in wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous, nor plunder his resting place. And I do love these verses. It's kind of a warning against uh, to those who would do good, who would wrong uh, those who are righteous, who would uh, seek to do evil um, to those who are righteous. And if you remember when it, when we see righteous here, even though we're in the Old Testament, we're going through this. Um, remember that the righteous man is not someone who's righteous in and of themselves. We know that. Amen. Um, we have no righteousness. Our righteousness means nothing to God. In fact, um, whatever righteousness we think we have is kind of the definition of religion is something that we have or some work that we're doing that we think justifies us before God. But what we know is that the only thing that justifies us before God is faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. So then those who are righteous are only righteous because they have been deemed righteous by God. Um, being, being righteous is something that is clean, if you will, something that is holy, something that's been declared holy because there's been an innocent sacrifice. Blood has been shed. Blood has been applied. Old Testament, we see that picture, the sprinkling of the blood cleanse things that were used in the process of worship in the temple. Y'all remember that or the tabernacle? Um, and so the Bible is very clear. Peter puts it this way in first Peter chapter one. He says that we have been, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God for, and he says the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, not that his blood has been sprinkled or applied to us, but spiritually speaking, the apostles are pointing out the fact that because his blood is shed and because we've placed our faith in him, we are now deemed righteous. And that's extremely important as we go through this particular text, that we understand what righteousness actually is. Righteousness is not what we think often. It's simply we've placed our faith in Christ and therefore God has deemed us righteous. We think righteousness is about how well, how well we're doing and it's not. So we'll get into that. So he says, um, the warning, do not lie and wait a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous and do not plunder his resting place. That's a warning. The reason he gives for that warning is found in verse 16, where he says, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by a calamity. When I was a young believer, this verse stuck with me. I didn't even understand it, but it was doing something for me. I want to I want to take my time. Some scholars think um, think that this this means or only means um, in regard to believers being persecuted or attacked by the wicked person. In other words, this is speaking of just when somebody is attacked, they may be attacked these many times that they'll rise again. Um, and I want you to understand that this is just a footnote for some of you. You remember, I've told you many, many, many times that if you choose to use a commentary, you need to use at least three because they often do not agree. Y'all remember me saying that to you? So if you have a study Bible, I want to free you today. You can save yourself a lot of energy because study Bibles are usually really thick and heavy. You don't have to carry that big old thing around because in my opinion, you, that study Bible is a study Bible because it has a man's commentary also in the study Bible. You don't need to carry that around. You just need the word. Amen. Because this, I love the word, I use a reference Bible and it, and it takes me different places. When I choose to use a commentary, I go to my shelf and I pull off at least three because again, they often don't agree. So um, I would encourage you to get a reference Bible. It's lighter, you know, I can fold this thing up and stick it in my back pocket and I'm not carrying around all that extra man stuff. You know, this is written by the Holy Spirit. Every time you add a commentary, now it's somewhat flawed. I mean, even when you listen to a preaching as you are right now, there's a human element at, at, at work here. So 100% of this ain't for you. 
I'm working, but I mean, it ain't all for you. The Holy Spirit is going to give you what you need. Everybody understand that? Okay, so when we're studying the Bible, get into the Word of God and, and trust what the Holy Spirit is showing you. Then go to the commentaries, but use at least three so that you can kind of maybe get a feel for what these guys are saying. But lose, use, learn to use a concordance. Learn to dig into the Word. Um, so a lot of scholars would say that this only applies to when somebody is being attacked by the wicked. But it means more than that. In fact, the Hebrew word here for fall Nephal is actually the Hebrew. It's uh, Strong's 5307, if you want to look it up, H5307. It has two implications. On the one hand, yes, it does mean to be attacked and, 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 and thrown down. Um, it, it also means to, to cause, to fail, or even knock out, you know, um, as if you were getting in the ring with Mike Tyson. He's going to knock you out. Um, how many of you remember watching the Mike Tyson fights, you know? I would love to know what the cost for paying for one of those, to watch one of those fights was by the second, because they didn't last long at all, you know? <laughs> it does mean that if you got knocked out by Mike Tyson, you shouldn't have been in the ring to begin with. You should have had better sense than that. So it does mean when the wicked attacks you and knocks you out, it causes you to fail. Um, but the other implication of this Hebrew word means to fall short, to fail, or waste away. Okay, implying both someone on one hand who is attacked or persecuted, but also on the other hand, someone who falls into sin. And now you're getting a greater understanding of what this actually means. We don't like that second part. Um, a lot of people don't like that second part because we got a large part of the church. We call them the sin sniffing hounds of hell. I like to call them. They're Pharisees. You can look at them. They're never happy. Because they got this list of rules they're trying to make sure everybody abides by and don't even realize that God doesn't even operate the way that that, that man does. We, he thinks differently than we do because he, there's an element of grace that this verse is exposing that we didn't realize. And so even the reform guys in the church, I mean, some of them can be very awesome guys, but they don't look happy oftentimes because they're so stuck in rules that they can't see grace. They're so stuck in rigidness that they don't understand that unless you are baptized in the Holy Spirit and unless you understand the grace of God, your ministry is not going to be impactful the way God intends it to be. And so it means both. What do you mean? Somebody who's attacked, been persecuted, been beat up by the world, by the enemy, by the devil, and, 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 and seven times and, and they're still going to get up? Yes. And then the person over here that's struggling in sin and they keep falling every time over and over and over. Are you saying they're still going to get up? Yes. That's what I'm saying. Notice again, the righteous man will fall seven times and rise again. We talked about righteous. But here's what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that seven is the limit and that God is through with you. In other words, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad y'all already know. <laughs> y'all make my job easy. It's not, it's not that the angels are keeping track. And once you've used your, your seven strikes, God's up. God's done. He's done with you. Call your name. Yep, he fell seven times. Oh, well, he's done. Can't save him. No, instead, we, we know that seven is a number that speaks of a complete work, if you will. And I think in this case, it's just God speaking of the complete work of his mercy, the complete work of his grace, the complete work that he does in us to never lose us. Jesus says, those whom the father has given me, no one can pluck them out of my hand. So the wicked can't take you from Christ. 
and the work he began in you. Remember, he's faithful to complete it until the day of Christ, which means that you can't even screw this salvation up that you have gained. This is amazing. Okay. Peter once asked the Lord, Matthew 18, 21 and 23, he said, now remember the, the, the story. Peter said, Peter thought he was real spiritual. He came and said, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times, you know, a, a, you know, cause that's a big number. You figure somebody seven times, you're real super spiritual. Jesus says, uh, and Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often notice shall I forgive him up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And I'm sure Peter was thinking, I don't even care. I can't keep track of that, Lord. I'm supposed to carry a notebook and do lines and then cross out every five. You know, you're never going to count that. You're never going to get that accurate. And that was Jesus' point. It's not about you trying to figure out how many times you forgive him. It's about if you really have the heart of the Father, you are just going to forgive him. Isn't that amazing? We don't think like that. So it's not that, you know, I'm going to fall seven times and then God is done. It's that God's work of, of redemption is so powerful and his grace is so amazing and his mercy is so innumerable that every time you go back to him, it's renewed. And some people don't like that because they're the sin sniffing hounds of hell. And they don't want it to be so. But how could it be any other way when there's nothing any of us could ever do to gain our salvation anyway? So it has to be of this amazing grace that God has created. Otherwise, it wouldn't mean anything. Does that make sense? I am amazed when I was a new believer, this verse, I didn't fully understand it. All I knew when I fell is that he loves me so much that he will forgive me again. And see, here's, I think, this is where this, this seven comes in. I believe this. I believe this seven comes in in that every time we fall, whether attack or we fall into sin, and some of you in the room may be falling into sin right now, and we run back to him, what we're doing is we're running back to the one place where we found grace and love, which was at the feet of Jesus. When I got saved, I ran to him that night on a Friday night in 1993. I cried out to him, and what I experienced is, is something amazing, and so I know where that is. Is everybody understanding me? I know if I run back there, because I, I know if I run, if you know, hear me out for a moment, y'all. Pastor Kevin is doing really well in this season of his life. So there's nothing behind this. Okay. Everybody with me? All right. But I know if I run to y'all, and this is a fear that many people have in the church. If I run to the church, man, they're going to look at me with this judgmental eye and I'll never be able to get by it and get over it again. So some people don't even run to the church. They're so humiliated that they fail again. And they're so ashamed. They, they're afraid to run to the church. Well, I got good news for you. Don't run to the church until after you've run to Jesus. Amen. 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 Then you run to the church. Man, here's where I believe the seven comes in. I believe that the, the seven, this number of completion, if you will, means that the more and every time you run back to him and every time you run back to him and every time you run back to him, what happens is he is refining and refining and refining till he has done a complete work in you. And you get to a point where sin stinks so much compared to the grace of God that you don't want nothing to do with sin anyway. I don't want anything to do with that. Man, I just want to stay over here where the shower of grace is coming down and just be washed. I don't even want to get dry no more. 
You know, <laughs> it's like taking a shower. I don't even want to be dry. I just want to stay under the wetness of the grace of God because he loves me. Is everybody understanding that? So you find out where you got to run, where you got to run. This one, he bled to death. God got on a cross and died for my sin. There's nothing anybody in the world could ever say to me again that would convince me of anything other than I need to run to him every time I have a problem. And that's the truth. That's the truth of the gospel. So it's a complete work that's going to happen in us. As long as you're running back to Jesus and you're running back to Jesus and you're running back to Jesus, he is going to burn out of you that thing that catches your attention, that, that draws you away. Now, here's the thing. The Bible says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Because he's such a gracious God that on the, on the, on the, on the same hand, he's going to allow you to go away. He's going to allow you to taste of that sin. And he's going to allow the consequences of that sin to have its work in your life. And you're going to get to a point that you're going to realize this is, this is not good for me. But I know where I can go. The devil will tell you he doesn't want anything to do with you because you've done too much. Yeah, he doesn't want. And that's what he does. That's his voice. But the Holy Spirit will whisper very quietly, come to me. And the Bible says, if you, if, you, if you draw near to God and resist the devil, then he's got to flee. And the Bible says, if you draw near to God, he's going to draw near to you. Y'all know those verses, right? Amen. So a righteous man, he's not righteous because he's good. He's righteous because he called on Christ for salvation. This is the thing. Hey, Old Testament, y'all remember that dude Lot? I can't find righteousness sometimes when I read about Lot. But somewhere along the line, God says he's righteous. So I can't bring my judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah until this righteous man is out of there and we can't see righteousness in Lot. Well, why is Lot righteous? Because somewhere along the lines, Lot just believed what God said to Abraham that through him, through his seed, all the earth was going to be blessed. So in Lot's mind, somebody's going to be born from Abraham that's going to redeem us from the curse of sin which Adam brought to us. So he believed that, the gospel message in the Old Testament. Because Lot believed that, God says, hey, he's righteous. I can't destroy his, this city until he's out of here. You go read the story in Genesis. The angel said, Lot, we can't do our job until we get you out of here. So you need to hurry up. Because we can't rain brimstone and fire on this city that's infested with homosexuality and all types of sin until you are out, Lot. Y'all catch the heart of God there? The same thing, judgment's coming on this earth, but it ain't gonna happen while we're here. Because we are righteous, not because we're good. Y'all ain't good, don't lie. <laughs> but because your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is littered all through the Old Testament. Job said in Job chapter 5, five verse 19, he said, He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. I love that. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. You're going through some things and some things are coming against you. The Lord is promising to deliver you because you belong to him. And how he delivers you is the way he wants to deliver you. And you need to be good with that verse. Psalm 37, 24 says, though he fall, check this out. He shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his right hand. I tell you what, these types of verses are so true for those of us who've been walking with him. How many times? It never ends. When is he done? Never. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's invested the blood of his son to purchase you. He's invested his Holy Spirit into you and he's giving you his word. Micah 7, 8. 
Do not rejoice over me, my enemy, when I fall. I will rise. Y'all hear that? When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. And I know that to be true. There are times when it just seems dark. Uh, and, 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 no, and I'm not saying that that's where everybody's experiencing. But you, you all who know me know that in, in a particular season of trial this year, um, there have been these times. But the Lord is a light. He never leaves. I like the way it's said in Esther chapter 7, verse 10. This kind of puts a nail in the coffin. It says, so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. Y'all see that verse? This one dude single-handedly was planning to destroy all of the nation of Israel. He wanted every Jew dead. And he was hung on the gallows he built for the one Jew that he hated the most, which was Mordecai. So I love these verses. I've lived by these verses. These verses have comforted me when I was working in corporate America, going to work every day. Um, I had some enemies there because God was doing a, a good work through, through my department. And we were accomplishing things. And we were writing policies. And I was, was in risk management. And so I was doing, I was auditing and stuff. All kind of stuff was going on. And so I'm writing policies and people getting angrier by the day about some of the stuff that we were doing. And um, that we had to do, but it was a blessing to the company and God protected me through all of that. Even when people tried to set me up, God is good. I mean, he's just with us. Yes, he is. But, but when you fall into sin, it's the same thing as when you're being attacked. Here's the thing, church. This is what we need to understand. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. It says, brethren, if, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, Trespass, meaning he's sinning in a way he, he knows it's sin. You fellowship with this person. You've, you've, you've raised hands and worship with this person. And all of a sudden, this person is off in some, some craziness. You who are spiritually, says, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, because none of us are any better than the other. Bear with one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Really? That's what the church is called to. It's where the rubber meets the road. You know, the church is uh, to be a place of truth, a place where you can be called out on your sin, not in a way to condemn you, but in a way to say, this is not what God has for you. And then to be taken through scripture and through prayer and, 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 and through some accountability into the right direction. James 5 says, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, I love this, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death. And not only that, it's twofold. Not only do you help this person, but you also cover a multitude of sins, meaning that you prevent all the mess that would come behind it and that would damage many other people. So it's a beautiful verse that we're looking at, these two verses, um, where he says here, for a righteous man, verse 16 in our text may fall seven times, whether attack or sin, and rise again. That's the thing to underline, and rise again. He will rise because his trust and strength is in the Lord, and the Lord will raise him up. But the wicked, he says, shall fall by calamity. God has judgment coming for the wicked. Now, that's the one aspect of this. Remember I said that because of Christ, we are invincible. Y'all remember I said that in the beginning? And so that's true. Okay, I can be attacked, can't be destroyed. 
I can fall in sin, won't get cast into hell because the Holy Spirit will not let me be happy there to the point that I will repent eventually. And I will remain a son or you will remain a daughter. Everybody with me? So now I'm invincible. Why? Blood of Christ. All right. I'm covered. All right. Not a license to sin. You can, you can try that if you want. That's not going to work out for you. <laughs> I, got pe- I got enough people in here that can come take my place right now and give testimony to convince you if you think that you can enjoy sin as a Christian and, and it's going to go well for you. It will not. Okay. However, the other side of this is that in humility we conquer. Well, what do I mean? Well, look at the warning that's to us now in verse 17. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Ooh, wait a minute. And see, this is the thing about the book of Proverbs. It's getting us. It's throwing punches. You mean I can't even enjoy watching my enemies struggle? Lord, I've been praying all this time. They've been so horrible to me. And now you finally dealing with them and you won't even let me, won't even let me have fun with it? That does not, does that seem fair, y'all? No, it doesn't seem fair at all. It doesn't seem fair. Um, one of the reasons he's given for that, though, listen, he's saying, I don't want you doing that because you're going to work against me and what I'm actually trying to accomplish. And what, look what he says in verse 18, lest the Lord see it and, in, and it displeases him and he turn away his wrath from him. What is he saying? Well, if the Lord sees you having a party and dancing because your enemy is struggling and being dealt with, if the Lord sees you having joy over your enemy's fall, is saying here that he, the Lord, may turn his wrath away from him, your enemy. So if you want your enemy to struggle, when you see it, don't be happy. <laughs> what he's saying is when you look up and see your, your enemy has finally fallen, God is dealing with my enemy. When you see it, God is like, okay, don't get happy about it. You just keep your head down and you remain humble and then What Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus actually says, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. This is hard. That's the harder part, part actually. But that's the spirit of God in us. Leviticus, I don't have this on the screen, Leviticus 19, 18 says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So we are instructed that when when we even when we see our enemies struggling, let's not get happy, but let's pray for them. Because and ultimately what we want is for God to redeem them and save them. Amen. Because the Bible is very clear. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our enemy is a spiritual enemy. He uses human elements to come against us so we can put a face and a body, and a name a lot of times to why we're struggling. But behind that person is our real enemy. What we actually want is for that person to be saved. You know, this is the truth. Nebuchadnezzar had the nerve to put Ananiah, Hezariah, Mishael in a furnace that was heated seven times hotter than normal that the guys that threw them in burned up, throwing them in there. That's, that's, that's the kind of guy he was. And then he ends up getting saved according to the book of Daniel. Can you imagine that? Yeah. That's why the Bible says that we, we should be mindful, Jesus says, to pray for our enemies. I'm not saying I like these scriptures because I would rather be happy when my enemy falls. I would rather invite my friends and throw a party. Hey, my enemy is falling. But God says, no, but my spirit's in you, and that's not how I operate. This is not easy, but it's the truth. 
Then not only that in verse 19, so then humility is important, but we even see that um, as we continue to go. Let's do a few more verses before we close. Verse 19 says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked, for there will be no prospect for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Um, now, this is something we've seen over and over and over. Do not fret because of evildoers. Uh, and this word fret is, is actually interesting. Karal is in the Hebrew H 2734, if you're taking notes, meaning, here's what it really means. This fret, it doesn't just mean to be confused, to be upset. It means to be hot, to be furious, to burn with anger. That's what he's saying. And this is a word that we need because some of us have been burning hot with anger over the last few years with the junk that we see in the world. And we are burning up because of it. And God says, why? What you all upset about? You didn't create the earth. You, you didn't give life to these people. You, you don't have anything invested in this like I do. God says, Jesus is like, look, I'm the one that bled on the cross for the world. For God so loves the world. You know, I, this, I saw this reform guy put this uh, video up that says Christians should never say to the unbeliever that God loves you. Now, I didn't watch the video because I was hot. <laughs> These reform guys burn me up. They have no grace. They have no love. They're not happy um, a lot of times, I, I, you know. But, but I'm looking at this stuff. No, you, we should absolutely understand that God loves the world because the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever will believe him will not perish but have everlasting life. Wait a minute. God's love is for the unbeliever. That's why he's long-suffering and bearing with this crazy world right now. So when we see these things, we get hot. But God is saying, verse 20, there's no prospect in these evil people. And their, their lamp's going to go out. Their light, meaning their life is going to go out. God's saying, hey, I got this, y'all. If I let them get away with stuff too long, don't worry. It's because I'm allowing them time to repent. And this is the thing that we all often don't understand. So we might see a political leader um, that is just doing things that we're like, we're hot, like Lord needs to judge them. We might even see a, 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 a religious leader, maybe a pastor of a church. He's doing horrible things and we want God to deal with them. You know what the reality I realize? The reality that I realize is, wait, wait, let me think about this for a minute. So God put this person in that position and he's chosen not to take them away yet. Well, who am I to... What am I going to do about that? I, look, I got enough for y'all. I need to focus right here. You know, I, I can't worry about what everybody in the world is doing. I need to focus right here. And that needs to be the most important part of my life, my family, the church that God has called me the pastor. You got to find, okay, Lord, what are you calling me to do? Because some of us are so distracted by all the junk that's going on in the world. And God is saying, I don't want you fretting over all of that. You know, this is not healthy for you. I haven't called you. You can't change it. I'm going I'm to allow some time, but that time is going to run out. I think about David running from Saul and had the opportunity to kill him. But David said, hey, I didn't put him there. David's anointed king, by the way. The king is trying to kill David. David's already been anointed king. God already said, David, you're going to be king. And David has the opportunity to kill the king himself and didn't do it. Because David, David realizes I didn't, I didn't make him king. I don't have the right to not make him king. God hasn't told me to do that. So he didn't kill him, you know, and he trusted in the Lord. The Lord killed him on the battlefield. He allowed him to be killed by an Amalekite, which is ironic because God told him 
to wipe out the Amalekites, and he refused to do it. So God allowed him to fall on the battlefield by an Amalekite. So God is in control. God already knows how it's all going to work out. This word prospect in verse 20 is interesting. It, it means, I won't even try to pronounce that one, but it means latter days, posterity. In other words, he's saying there will be no latter days for them or posterity. I'm going to deal with them and I'm going to take it out. It's an interesting truth. Just as God spoke to Eli about his offspring, Eli, because you're evil, because you're wicked, because you refuse to listen to me, because you refuse to, to discipline your sons who are making a mockery of me down at the tabernacle and people don't even want to come to worship anymore, stealing the offerings and sleeping with the women, saying, because you will not deal with them, I am going to remove you and I'm going to remove them and your line will not continue. That's what God said to him. Imagine that. And Solomon's probably remembering what his father said. David wrote something in Psalm 37. I'm going to read it to you now on the screen. David said this, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut off like, like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, he says, and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his fatness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. All of that stuff that we should be doing tells me that's a, that's a good list of stuff, isn't it? I'm going to focus on doing that stuff, and I'm not going to worry about the e evildoers anymore. Turn off the news. All that that got you hot, don't worry about it. God is in control of all this. This is his earth. He, he, look, he put the thing in spin. He put the lights on it. He's got it under control. And that's what we need to understand as we live this life. Um, kind of out of time. But this verse kind of has to go with that. We're speaking of this humility part that we need to conquer in humility. Verse 21 says, my son, fear the Lord and the king and do not associate with those given to change. Interesting in the Hebrew language. There is... A couple of things. One, he says, fear the Lord and fear the king. So the first thing we got to understand is he puts the Lord first. Everybody caught that, right? Fear the Lord because the Lord is the one who puts kings even in place. And do you know the Bible says, uh, I believe it's over in Daniel, that sometimes the Lord puts the bases of men in charge, meaning that because a land is wicked, they get a wicked king. Everybody caught that? All right. America is wicked. So America will have a wicked president. We got to vote next year. 24 is coming. We got to vote the right man in. There is, no, there is no right man left. We crucified him. So we're going to spend all our time trying to save something. You know. So fear the Lord and the king. And, and that definitely for believers God wants us always to have reverence for him and have reverence for the fact that he is the one who puts these leaders in place. And our obedience to the king needs to be there um, until the king then leads us away from or against the, the Lord who's first. Once that happens, our subordination has to remain with the Lord, no longer with the king. Does that make sense? You know, like there's no blind loyalty to a government. 
um, there's no blind loyalty to anybody. Once you go away from the Lord, you know, we, we can't be blindly loyal, even to one another in that way. We need to love one another, but there's no blind loyalty to something that's wicked. No, 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 no. My loyalty is to Jesus, the one who loved me, the one who died for me. Amen. So listen, he says, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those given to change. Um, when we think about this word change, I forgot to bring the definition with me. I'll, second service will get it. Um, but it speaks of those who are given to change by way of um, taking it upon themselves to force change uh, and go sometimes against the will of God. Y'all follow me? Okay, so God is the one who's in control. In other words, if David was given to change when his, when his boy said, David, there is Solomon. The Lord has, has there is, uh, I'm calling the wrong folks. There is uh, Saul. God has delivered Saul into your hands. Kill him, David. You're going to be king anyway. We could just take the throne today. And Saul went into the cave to use the bathroom, and David took out his knife, and he just cut the hem of his, y'all remember this story? And, but David, if David was given to change in the way this verse is implying, he would have done that. And then he would have stepped outside of the will of God and dishonored the anointing that God had put on him. And David says, though, I can't do this. I'm going to trust God to do it in his own timing. So therefore, David didn't do it. He wasn't given to change. I'm given to the Lord not to change. When the Lord leads us to make change in anything, that's when we do it. Everybody understand? There's a balance to how Christians ought to conduct themselves. And if you go through the history of Christianity, you find that we've always walked in some element of humility and we've always outperformed the government. You can find over and over and over. Christians are the ones who started and built orphanages and hospitals and the whole educational system came from Christianity. Even Harvard and Yale and Princeton and all those schools all came from Christianity wanting to have a place to deliver the word of God and teach people the word of God. Amen. We understand this? All these things have been done through the church through the years out of love and humility. Okay, so now we can't get this militant attitude that, you know, we got to save America. <laughs> have y'all read the Bible? We, we do want to save them as in salvation. And don't get me wrong, if China invades, we're going to pick up our guns. You know, keep the gun ready. You can't just come into the community and, and, and do what you want to do. Yeah, we understand that, but, but we're called to honor the Lord. Amen? And keep our hearts and our minds submitted to him at all times. And I, I say that light as we, you know, prepare to end this year, going into an election year. Don't get so frustrated. Don't get so drawn away and distracted by political things. Don't, don't get so worn out by those things where you're so hot that it's consuming your life. And I know some of you will let that, let that happen. I'm so glad I'm not on Facebook. I can look at you and smile at you. I don't even know you're doing it, you know, um, because it can, it, can, it can cause you to lose your peace. Hey, the Lord is faithful. We're going to see a lot of stuff happen over the next few years. But let's get in here and let's encourage each other every week. Amen so that we can bring him honor, meaning the Lord Jesus, while we wait for his coming. So let's pray now. Bow your heads. Father, we thank you today for your word and how it continues to speak to us, Lord God. I pray that you would uh, just bless us as we go through this day. Keep us as we go into this week, Lord, each family, uh, each individual, that you would go before us, that you would protect us, that you would provide for us, Lord God, and give us the things we need, discernment and strength and boldness for the week ahead, Lord. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. amen.